All right. So one of the mitzvahs which we do, um, which you do uh, in a specific context in terms of baking, but one of the mitzvahs which we have is to separate challah. Right, the term challah, which we use for bread, which you eat on Shabbos, so it's really somewhat of a misnomer. Really, challah is the portion of dough which is taken from, um, uh, which is taken from a batch of dough and given to the kohanim. It's one of the matnas kahuna, and there's very specific parameters around the uh, the mitzvah. And one of the interesting things is going to be in terms of the quantity, the the exact amount of dough which one has to prepare in order to trigger the mitzvah. And this is going to be another one of those circumstances, another one of those mitzvahs where we differentiate between when the mitzvah is done uh, and the uh, there's going to be a bracha which is recited and when the mitzvah is done without reciting the bracha. Because whenever, as we know from other uh, cases, whenever there is the machlokis about it, so we could always take the easy way out, which is to perform the action of the mitzvah itself without actually uh, making the bracha and running the risk of a bracha levatala. So as far as the measurements are concerned in halacha, so it's very clear the point at which one is going to be obligated to separate chala, and that is... It's going to be the Torah itself actually says that it's when you prepare an omer's worth, that's the Hebrew word, ayin vav memresh, an omer's worth of dough. And in case you're wondering how much an omer is, very good. So an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So that may help you. It may not. Not sure. Then as far as what exactly is one-tenth of an ephah, that's going to be the volume of uh, uh, 43 eggs. So now we know that once we're talking about the volume of eggs, we know that there are all sorts of different uh, eggs, different size eggs, and figuring out exactly how much that is. So this is something which is a pretty major debate, because now you get to everything having to do with the revias, how much wine do you drink, and how much matzah you eat, and everything is based on these uh, these measurements. And uh, it's always going to be something which is uh, which is difficult. So in this specific mitzvah, so there's different ways by which people sort of guesstimate how much it's going to be, whether they measure it in weight or whether they measure it in volume. Initially, for me, I was always taught a, an amount of weight. So whether it's two and a half pounds to go ahead and separate without a bracha or whether it's five pounds to separate with a bracha, but... Consistently, if you if uh, people call you up and they say, "How much uh, do I? Uh, uh, um, how much uh, flour do I need to prepare in order to be chayiv and challah?" So you give them weight. So that's not really so helpful. What's really helpful is to do it in terms of volume, how many cups. But people are very hesitant to go ahead and give cups because it's not an exact uh, science. But I have a uh, a friend, uh, a, a rav in New York who worked on this, he was trying to prepare a magnet where he spent some time measuring in terms of volume. So he went ahead and gave the following measurements, which I will share screen with you now, just that first thing. And it should appear on the screen there. Yeah, the chart? Got it. Got it, okay. So he went ahead and he measured as follows. So he said he differentiates. I'll show you the two parts of the chart uh, before we even begin. The two parts are 
whether or not you're actually pouring flour from the bag into the cup, an eight-ounce cup, or whether you put the eight-ounce cup into the bag and you scoop flour out from the, uh, uh, from the bag. And those are going to produce different measurements. So he says, Chaz, we're just going to follow this part of the chart by the note of Yehuda and the Chazunish, just because that gets both extremes. So the way he writes it is that if you're making something, if you're making challah, let's say, with white flour, so if you go ahead and from nine and one-eighth cups, if you're pouring from the bag into, your, into the cup, into the measuring cup, so if there's nine and one-eighth cups, from that point on, you would separate challah without a bracha. Once you get to 18 and a quarter cups, then you go ahead and that's considered to be enough of a, uh, a volume of flour that you would separate with a bracha. If you're using whole wheat flour, so the same measurement for, um, for, uh, for separating without a bracha is where you go ahead and you, uh, you, uh, you, um, uh, you pour out nine and one-eighth cups of flour. You would separate without a bracha and with a bracha is going to be 21 cups. That's whole wheat flour. And these measurements, as we said, are both going to be when you're pouring from the bag into the measuring cup. Then when you're scooping flour from the bag, so then this produces a different outcome. And here we say, without a bracha, because when you when you scoop, when you put the cup into the bag, it becomes more compact. So you have more volume, which is in the cup. So he says that without a bracha, you would already do it from seven cups. With a bracha, in order to say the bracha on separating challah, it would be 16 cups. And if you're using whole wheat flour, so you would separate challah without a bracha at eight cups, and you would go ahead and you would recite the bracha for whole wheat flour at 18.5, 18 and a half cups. And that's all going to be when you are scooping the flour out of the bag with the measuring cup. And what happens if you're in between the two values? You you say it without a bracha up until the upper value. You only begin to say the bracha at the higher number, the eighteen point five or the sixteen. So then, then what's the significance of the lower number at all? Then you separate challah, but you don't say the bracha on it. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Below seven cups, let's say, so you wouldn't even go ahead and separate challah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Now, so that is really part one in terms of those measurements. Now, we get to the Shiloh, which arises um, pretty often. Uh, and that's where we'll have the regular Marmacomos. And that is, should be there now. So, yeah, this, so this is what happens when you prepare a large batch of dough but you're going to go ahead and you're going to divide it for some reason. It could be, and we'll discuss different scenarios, sometimes you're going to divide it because some of the dough will be used for the baking of bread. Some of it may be used for, you know, to make, a, uh, you know, franks and blanks or something like that. You may use it to add other ingredients to make it sweeter or to make a sweet roll out of it or something like that. Or another scenario which we're going to discuss is you prepare a large batch of dough but you plan on distributing the challah to all sorts of different people. So in all of these cases, as we're going to see, there's going to be differences in halacha in terms of the preparation, the separation, sorry, I shouldn't say separate, the division of it amongst other people, and then when you're going to separate it or not. 
So we'll begin with the uh, the beginning of this uh, this discussion. In the mission over here, there's a mission of Meseches Chala. So Mishnah says as follows: Nachtom So Mishnah says that a baker, a Nachtom is a professional baker, so he goes ahead and prepares a batch of dough. The technical uh, translation of Seor, what exactly means, is not relevant for our discussion. So we're just going to pretend that. We're talking about regular dough. So a professional baker who makes a large batch of dough with the intention, lechalik, with the intention to distribute it, meaning he's going to go ahead and sell not the entire batch to one customer, but he's probably going to go ahead and sell a roll to this person and a roll to that person and a roll to a third person. In 10, 15, 20 people may go ahead and have rolls. You can think of it if you've been to... Uh, uh, you know, any bakery where they have out there in the display, they'll have a bunch of bagels that they sell. They'll have a bunch of rolls, which they sell. They'll have onions rolls, which they sell. So it was made in one large batch of dough. They have enormous size mixing bowls. But the expectation is that they're going to sell maybe one or two to a customer, maybe a half a dozen to a customer, maybe a dozen, but they have no idea how exactly it's going to be sold. But ultimately, the expectation is it's going to be sold to numerous customers. So even though it's going to be sold to numerous people, if you are a professional baker, you're chayef to separate challah nonetheless. Explains the Bartanura. Bartanura, one of the primary commentators on the Mishnayis, who is especially valuable in sections like Zroim and, and uh, Taharas, where you don't really have Mesechtas with Rashi on them. So the Bartanura explains, so the Nachtom uh, She'asas or Lechalek, so the baker who prepares a batch of dough to to uh, to divide, but the initial batch has enough flour that would trigger an obligation on uh, to separate challah. But you plan on selling it. The baker plans on selling it to other people, to his customers. And as a result of that, it's going to be divided into many different. It's going to be baked as many different rolls, and. And as you look at each one of those challah rolls, you'll think of those little challah rolls, which if you were in a simcha or something, that they put on your plate for you. So each one of those is too small to trigger an obligation of challah. So the large batch has enough to for challah, but each individual roll is way too small. So, But if you are a professional baker, the mission says you're obligated to separate challah anyways. Why? Should die though, because the intention of the professional baker is in the event you don't find customers, isa uh, for whom you're going to go ahead and you're going to make the dough, who are going to buy the dough. So you know at the end of the day that if necessary, you will bake them all as part of one batch. So although sometimes you may be expecting customers to go ahead and divide the dough, and that's the, the technical thing that the mission is talking about over here, where you make it into the dough, but nonetheless, in the event that you have, uh, that you can't find enough people for whom to distribute the dough, so you will certainly go ahead and bake it yourself and sell them as ready-made rolls. So the main thing over here for our purpose at this point is that if you're going to go ahead and you're going to manufacture dough, uh, in the event that uh, ultimately it will be, it could be baked together, if necessary, you're going to go ahead and you're going to bake them together. So it's all considered to be yours. And as long as it's all considered to be yours, 
So then there's an obligation to, to separate challah. Now the Kiddush of this is more so than what is actually said in the Mishnah. The bigger Kiddush as we're going to see now in Shulchan Aruch and the Mepharshim in Shulchan Aruch is the case that Shulchan Aruch does not address. Because Shulchan Aruch addresses the case of a professional baker. Let's say you're not a professional baker. You're baking it in your own home to distribute amongst friends and neighbors. You think that you came up with this great recipe of how to go ahead and make a challah, a delicious recipe, and you'd like to go ahead and you would like to share that uh, a taste of it with all of your friends and neighbors. So you're baking an enormous batch with the intention to distribute it amongst all sorts of different people. So that case, the Mishnah did not address, but Shulchan Aruch does. So this brings us to a section of Yeridea, which is not one of the uh, you know, reg- regularly uh, uh, studied uh, sections, but this is the halachas of Chawa. So Shulchan Aruch says as follows. So again, the technical case is a professional baker uh, puts together, manufactures some dough to go ahead and distribute dough to others. Chayevus b'chala. So as a professional, he's obligated to challah because Shimlotim Gorkas, in the event that he doesn't find customers to buy the dough, he'll go ahead and bake it all himself in one big batch of all of that the bread for himself. So ultimately, there's a possibility that he could go ahead and use it all himself. But if you have a private individual, private means that you don't plan on selling this dough, but you plan on dividing it into different pieces, so then you're going to be petura, you're going to be exempt. So you make this large, as we're going to see, there's all sorts of different scenarios where sometimes what people do is they manufacture a large batch of dough, and then they freeze some of that dough to use next Shabbos and the Shabbos after that so they can have fresh challah for Shabbos. Some people go ahead and take the large batch of dough, they bake it into separate challahs, and then they freeze the challahs. So these are two different shilas, all of which have to be addressed. But there's some scenario, what we know from Shulchan Aruch is, that there's some scenario where a non-professional baker is making a large batch of dough it's going to be divided into different things. And as a result of dividing it into smaller portions, each one of those portions in and of itself is not enough flour to trigger an obligation of challah. There's going to be an exemption from this mitzvah of separating challah. And we have to figure out exactly when the private individual is, is truly exempt from separating challah, when it may be that he separates challah, he or she separates challah without reciting the bracha, or when one is going to be uh, obligated because uh, there's going to be no exemption which is going to apply at all. And this is going to be our task right now. How exactly, and what are the different scenarios? So now a modern a, a modern commentator on these, on these things is... Um, a modern commentator on the Shulchan Aruch is uh, Chalkas Binyamin. Chalkas Binyamin, his name is uh, Binyamin Kohn. He's the Rosh Kolel in, I think, the uh, the Yeshiva Chaim Berlin. But he writes extensively. He's the son of Rafaibel Kohn, who wrote extensively on Halacha in the Mishabura style Sefer. 
and the son, Reb Yaman, so he followed his father's pattern. He didn't overlap his father. So there's certain vol- there's certain sections of Yerodeah which were covered by the father, Reb Fival, certain sections which are covered by the son, Reb Yaman. But the Chalkas Ben Yaman is somebody who's alive, he's not so old, and he is a, uh, a very prolific author. Big time, Chacham, a prolific author. So in explaining this halacha about a private uh, person, uh, the, the contrast between a professional baker who does have to separate challah, even though he's going to divide the dough into different parts, versus a private individual who is exempt from separating challah when he divides it into different parts. So he explains as follows. Perish. That his intention when he is kneading the dough, that's the gilgal, when he's rolling the dough or kneading the dough, he's going to go ahead and he plans on dividing the different pieces in, uh, amongst different friends and relatives. And each person is going to receive a small portion of dough. This is before baking. But he's going to receive a small portion of dough while it is still uh, in the dough stage. For example, you have a person, let's say it's a it's a uh, a mother who has the best recipe in town for making challah, and her daughters and daughters-in-law all all want to be able to serve her, their mom's recipe for challah. So she makes this enormous batch of dough and she distributes the dough to her children. And each person is going to go ahead and eat their own portion, their own part of that dough. And the balabayas, meaning the mother, is preparing the dough on behalf of all of them. But she's going to take this large batch of dough, these 18 cups of flour, she's going to make dough out of that, and then she's going to divide it into five equal portions. But when she divides into five equal portions, none of those portions have enough flour in it to trigger an obligation of challah. And the assumption is, and this is the idea which we're going to see a little bit more shortly, but the, the assumption is, is that I want my portion of dough, my sister wants her portion of dough, my sister-in-law wants her portion of dough, and everybody's going to want their own portion, and we're not going to mix them together. So being that each portion is intended to remain separate and apart from the other one, so there's an exemption in that case from separating challah because the stuff is never going to be baked together. It's never going to be consumed together. It's never going to be baked together. So for a private individual, there's going to be an exemption from separating challah under such conditions. And this is dissimilar. It's not the same as the professional baker, the Hasam Zakuku Limkor, because over there, the professional, ultimately, we know that he's going to sell all of the dough or the bread. And it doesn't make a difference in whether a customer buys a small portion of the dough or a large portion of the dough or a middle-sized portion of the dough. He just wants to make sure that he sells all of his stuff. As opposed to a private individual, he doesn't go ahead and make it with the intention that he's going to go ahead and sell it. He knows for sure that this is going to be divided, and he knows exactly how it's going to be divided and who's going to get each portion. 
So by the by the professional, what the Chalkas Binyamin is referring to is that there's always a possibility that some person will come in and say, I'm making a simcha this weekend, and I need 18, I need dough which contains 18 cups of flour. So if you're a professional baker, you'll say, Oh, I just made a fresh batch of dough. You could have all of it. So since it's possible that it could end up by one individual, so there's going to be an obligation to for the professional to separate challah because he would be perfectly happy if he could sell all of it to one person. It doesn't make a difference to him whether it's one person or multiple people. But when a mother is making it for her daughters and daughters-in-law, so she knows from the outset exactly how it's going to be distributed. And the assumption is, is that these different sub-batches of dough are not going to be mixed together because each one is going to a separate house. And therefore, in that case, we look at it as individual portions of dough smaller than 18 cups rather than uh, one large batch, which contains 18 cups. So so up until now, we've had the same conclusion for the professional baker, but for two different reasons. Before... Before we said maybe he'll fail to sell it and wind up begging it himself. And now we say, no, maybe one person will buy it all and bake it all themselves. So Right. Both both of them are true. Correct. Thank you for, for, for emphasizing that point. That there there's two different reasons which are given by the by the Rishonim, both of which we're going to uh, we're gonna hold of. Okay. So now uh, so what does this mean on a practical level? So, fortunately for us, uh, not a place that you would necessarily expect it, but in the Sefer Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa, so as he's talking about the uh, obligations of Er Shabbos, preparing for Shabbos, so it's a very common practice to bake challah for Shabbos, very ancient and very cherished practice to go ahead and uh, and do so. So, because this is something which is very often part of the preparation for Shabbos, so the Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa goes ahead and has a section on separating challah. So he writes as follows. This is the Perik Membeis, Sif Yudalf, second volume of uh, of the Shmir Shabbos. He says, Hamechin Isa Kishir Chala, if somebody prepares the dough, a batch of dough, with the necessary quantity, volume of dough, to trigger an obligation to separate Chala, but Aldas the Chalka Achareyafia the Chalakim. But he plans on dividing it, and this is where it's a little different than Shulchan Aruch talked about. Shulchan Aruch talked about dividing it in the dough stage. Here, we're talking about where you're not going to divide it till after the baking stage. So here, where you plan on dividing it after baking into different portions, and each one of those baked rolls is smaller than the, uh, does not contain 18 cups. Lamasha, for example, for example, one of the cases that we mentioned is you're going to bake a, you're going to take the entire batch of 18 cups of flour of uh, of uh, of dough. You're going to bake numerous challahs. I don't know how many challahs you're going to be able to get out of that. Let's say um, 10 or something. I don't know. And then you're going to go ahead and you're going to save four of them for the Shabbos and four of them for the next Shabbos, and you'll have two extras just in case. So you're not, but you're not going to eat them all together. So in such a case where it's not going to be separated until separated, meaning put into different circumstances, some for this week and some frozen for next week, since that's not going to happen until after the baking process, so or after the baking is completed, so the obligation of challah remains. It's considered to be one batch of dough, and you separate challah. 
and you're even going to go ahead and say a bracha on this hafrashos challah. This is a regular daraisa obligation of hafrashos challah. Then he says, even if you prepare a batch of dough with the intention to divide it amongst others or to divide it um, in the dough stage before baking, meaning before the baking, and this time what you're going to do is rather than freeze a ready-baked challah, you're going to freeze the dough, and then next week you'll defrost the dough, and that way you'll have freshly baked challah without all of the effort. The ain, sorry, I should say ain. And you don't have in each uh, of that smaller uh, uh, divided part of the dough 18 cups worth. Even in that case, you're obligated to separate challah. So even though it's being distributed, it's being divided in the dough stage. So you're still now, even though the Shulchan Aruch said you're going to be exempt from Chal in this case, here the Shvir Shabbos says you're Chayev. Ulam Oz, However, in this case, where you're going to be all using it for the same purpose, it's all going to be used for Chal, which is going to be consumed on Shabbos, just some this Shabbos and some next Shabbos, you would separate Chal, but you're not going to recite the Bracha. But, Scenario number three. But let's say you prepare a large batch of dough and you plan on dividing the dough into different parts while still in the dough stage pre-baking. But here now there's there's a, a, a difference. And that is, let's say one third of it you're going to go ahead and you're going to use for the baking of challah, regular challah. And another portion is going to be divided into different types of cake. You'll make a kakash cake and you'll make some other type of cake with the dough. So each one ends up being one third, one third, one third. And neither one of those, not the one which is going to be bread, not the one which is going to be kakash, and not the one which is going to be whatever the third type of cake is, neither one of them is enough volume of flour to trigger an obligation to separate challah. So in this case, where each one is going to be used for a separate purpose, it's going to be eaten differently, then you're exempt from the mitzvah challah. We don't look at the lar- the initial large batch, but we see that since you're dividing it for different purposes, and each one of the purposes does not have the volume to trigger the obligation, you're exempt. And even if you take the 18 cups of flour and you divide it into two so that each, where each one is going to be baked as a cake, however, if if, however, you're making two different types of cake and you want one to be a chocolate cake and one to be a cinnamon cake and you don't want to mix your chocolate cake and your cinnamon cake, let's say you're making ragalach, so it's going to be a batch of chocolate ragalach, and there's going to be a batch of cinnamon ragalach, and your chocolate ragalach kids, they love the chocolate and they hate the cinnamon, and your cinnamon cinnamon ragalach people, they love the cinnamon and they can't stand the chocolate, so you would never mix the two, so even though they're both cakes, but since you would never mix them together, they don't combine for the mitzvah challah, where you're going to make from them two different types of cake, so in such a case, you're also going to be exempt from challah. Because one of the things 
which we can't elaborate on in great depth uh, tonight, maybe at a, a, a different year at a different time, but when you prepare a large quantity of dough, but you divide it, and you don't want those divided pieces to mix together, sometimes you don't want them to touch one another, but certainly you don't want them to go ahead and mix together, that makes it as if you made separate batches of dough. So although you may have initially combined water with 18 cups of flour to make one batch, but as long as you're going to divide it into separate things which you don't want mixed at all, whether because of taste or because of ownership, so that already is enough that you are going to be exempt from challah. Okay, so those are the rules, the practical application of this as far as the Shmir Shabbos Kilchus is concerned. If you look at the footnotes, he says that all of this is coming from Rav Shomel Zaman. These are all the opinions of Shomel Zaman Orbach. Now, uh, Revel Yashiv, we have a, an extensive collection of rulings and whatnot from Revel Yashiv. And they went ahead and they combined it into a sefer called Ashrei Ha'ish. It's a multi-volume uh, set <laughs> called Ashrei Ha'ish. And uh, they uh, they took his different writings and different opinions and stuff and different quotes of him from different sparim. And they went ahead and they um, they uh, compiled it into this set called Ashrei Ha'ish. So in the set in Yeridea, so it says as follows. It says, Ha'isha, this is Perak Ayin, Sif Chavtes. Ha'isha, Allah Shabbatzeik, Vrotzen L'Chalko, Chelik L'Afiyas Chalos, Chelik L'Afiyas Ugos. So a woman prepared a large batch of dough, and she's now going to divide that dough into two parts. One part she's going to use for bread, and the second part she's going to use for cake. Efshe L'Hafish Me'aisa, O M'mine HaMafa Ulevarach Al Hafrasha. So this is different than the Shreya Shabbos Kilchasa. He says, when you prepared all of that dough at once, even though you're going to divide some of it into um, um, uh, uh, some of it is going to be bread and some is, is going to be cake, you could go ahead and you could separate either from the dough or from the baked products and you could even say a bracha. Because, Rav Yashiv maintains, because at the, at, the, at the beginning of the day, in this case, at some point, there was one batch of dough, which all of which is going to be consumed by you and your family. So as long as it's all going to be consumed uh, effectively under one roof, it Yasha maintains that it doesn't make a difference that some of it will end up being bread and some of it will end up being cake. But he adds, very important qualification, you don't want to hang up now, he says, This is only true provided that all of it is one batch of dough. And it doesn't bother you at all in the event that they touch one another. So let's say you're making some bagels. So you're making a ba- batches of bagels. Some will be plain bagels. Some will be sesame bagels. Some will be garlic bagels. Some will be onion bagels. And when you go ahead and you prepare, even though each one of them is a different has a different topping on the bagel, but you're not the type in your family, so it doesn't really bother you whether or not your uh, onion bagel has some garlic on it, or whether your garlic bagel has some sesame on it. You're good with all of those different uh, things, although you try and make separate ones. At the end of the day, if they're all baked together and there's a little overlap between them in terms of toppings, so nobody really cares. So in that case, it's considered to all be one batch, because you don't really care if there's a mixture of the different toppings. But, similar to Rav Shomo Zalman, 
He says, in contrast, let's say some of it is going to be bread and some of it is going to be cake in a manner where, as he's going to explain, where you don't want a mixture between the two at all. He says, for example, you make one part of the batch of dough is going to be for bread. Then you're going to make hamotzian and you're going to eat in the Suda on Shabbos. And the other part of the batch of dough, you're going to add, you're going to make into kakish. So you're going to add chocolate and you're going to add sugar in order to sweeten it. And umakpid And when you prepare two such things, one is going to be challah to be eaten at the meal, and the other is going to be kakish cake, which you're going to eat for dessert. So in that case, you don't want a mixture between the two. You don't want chocolate in your regular challah that you're eating as part of the meal. You want that to be part of your... Uh, you want that to be just challah without any of the sweetness, then enumitzarif. So under those conditions where the two sub-batches of dough, you don't want them to mix at all, you don't want them to overlap, you don't want them to touch one another, because each one is supposed to have a separate and distinct taste, then they don't combine and you would not say uh, you would not say the bracha. I, I have a question on the first part, where, where he says that that if 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 the dough is the same, then even if you're making bread and cake, you 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 consider it one dough. And he says, you can you can separate either from the dough or from the final product. Right. So, if you have two products, bread and cake, if you separate from the bread, it also covers the cake, and vice versa. Or you have to separate from each of them if you do it that way. No, as as, as long as you don't mind them touching one another even though they're going to be used for a different purpose. But if you don't mind them touching one another, then it's considered to be one batch, and that's why you can separate from one on behalf of the other. Okay, even after... They're considered to be one batch. Okay, even, even after, after the baking. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, so this was... So, Sif test over here from Rebbe Yashiv. This had to do with you baking it for yourself, making a large batch of dough, and you're going to use different parts of that large batch. You're going to divide it into, let's say, cakes and challahs, and whether you're obligated in uh, challah. Now, in Siflam and Gimel, he discusses a different type of division. This division has nothing to do with taste, whether you would mix the kakish dough with your challah dough, with the bread dough. But now we're going to talk about where you're going to be distributing it amongst different people. So he says as follows. So you made a batch of dough which has enough flour in there to trigger an obligation to separate challah. But you plan on giving, again, your daughters and your daughters-in-law, you plan on giving them raw dough so that they can bake it at their convenience. And it's divided in such a way that after the division, Lo uh, that neither uh, none of the uh, divided pieces of dough or, or or portions of dough contain enough flour to trigger the obligation in challah. In such a case, So such a dough is going to be exempt from challah. So even though everybody's going to bake it as, as bread, but the very fact that you plan on distributing it, some of it will go to Mel, and some of it will go to Art, and some of it will go to Ale, and some will go to Bob, and some will go to Steve, and Malky, and, uh, and, and B. Nonetheless, since it's go- all going to be divided, so none of that is that there's going to be no obligation to separate Chala. Umehai time Amar And based on this, what Yashiv said, 
Shisha Sholechas Basek that if a woman goes ahead and makes a large batch of dough, she keeps some of it for herself, some of it for her daughters, and some of it for her daughters-in-law. So she is going to be exempt from separating challah in that case, because since it's going to be distributed to different people, although they're family members, but they live in different homes, so it's considered to be a bunch of uh, small batches of dough, rather than looking at it as one large batch of dough. Because in this regard, the Yishlino can base because we the Rav Yashu maintains we follow the opinion of the base of who's quoted in the Pischei Tshuva over there. That in the event that one manufactures some dough, they mix together flour and water to make dough, and you're going to bake challahs even, this is going to be the final baked product, where each one of those loaves contains an amount of flour which is not enough to trigger an obligation of uh, of separating challah. And it's going to be divided in a way where there's no expectation that these different loaves will ever be in the same place at the same time. Because one is going to one daughter, another is going to another daughter, a third is going to a daughter-in-law, and a fourth is going to another daughter-in-law, and they live in separate neighborhoods and not going to eat it all together. So this is going to be a division of dough which is uh, which is lasting, meaning we're never going to recombine them together into one thing. Petura. So then that's going to exempt this dough, even when it's all combined in the dough stage, it's going to exempt it from challah. And there's no difference between one person and many people. And in the event that uh, the intention of the person at the time of baking is ultimately to combine it into one thing, and this division which we're doing now by making it into separate roles is not a division which is going to last. In other words, let's say you're making a family simcha. So you make uh, a, a, a batch of dough with 18 cups of flour, and you're going to divide it into small little bilkalach. But those bilkalach, you're going to put all into one bowl, and at the suda, everybody's going to take a roll from this lar- a roll from the bowl. So all of those rolls get recombined into one b- large batch, one to one bowl, and everybody's going to take their own from that. It's going to be buffet style. So everybody's going to grab their own roll as they're taking the rest of the cholent and the kugel. So in that case, although you divided the dough into smaller pieces because you baked a bunch of small rolls, but they all end up in the same basket anyways that people are going to take from. There, in that scenario, lo mikri osen That's not considered to be dividing something with the purpose of uh, for being permanent. And this was the practice in Rav Yashiv's own home. That after baking a bunch of small rolls, all of those baked rolls were put into one large bowl, and then they would separate challah. And only after they went ahead and they had recombined all of those rolls into one bowl, everything is back together again, and then they would separate challah. After that, then they would go ahead and distribute it to others. But they well, did or it maybe, specific- maybe he they separated did it specifically. 
they did it specifically with the intent to combine the smaller rolls into one place after baking, and then separate challah so that they could do the mitzvah and say the bracha, and then only afterwards would they go ahead and divide it amongst others. So, but yeah. in, in that in that case, couldn't they have made the bracha and before in the in the dough stage before they did that? Uh, probably they could have. Yeah, yeah I don't know why I mean, they. Uh... I don't yeah, know why. It, 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 it could, yeah, it could be a misspoke. It could be that they really, knowing that they were going to go ahead and do this, they separated already at the dough stage, knowing that this is what they were going to do. Okay. Uh, they separated then. Then after it was baked, then they put it into one thing, and then they would go ahead and they would separate. Okay. Now we have one case, which is a machlokas. And this is going to be between the chachmas adam on the one hand, and as we're going to see, uh, the Milchas Yitzhak quotes uh, one of the uh, the uh, the uh, great Achronim who disagrees. And then we'll see Rav Yasher's final conclusion based on this. Uh, and we'll try and do it uh, quickly. So the Chachma Asadam, so he wrote a special a special section. He wrote it on Yoridea, but he wrote a special section on the Mitzvah Satsuyos Ba'aretz. So one of those is, the although Chal isn't really a Mitzvah Satsuyos Ba'aretz, but there are different nuanced ways that the halachas are going to be practiced between Eretz Yisrael and Chutzaretz. Uh, but he writes, He says, when is it that if you go ahead and you uh, make a large batch which you're going to divide, you're still obligated in challah? And we mentioned at the very beginning in the first source over here from the Mishnah in challah, that's only going to be by a professional baker. Aval but in the event that a private individual, this is going to be the mother or the grandmother, who goes out and manufactures a large, a large batch of dough, enough to trigger an obligation of challah, but she's going to distribute it to her daughters and daughters-in-law as dough. She's not going to bake it for them. They're going to bake it themselves. They trust her, uh, her dough, but they don't trust her oven. Let's say. So they, they want to go ahead and bake it in their own oven. And each person gets a portion of dough which is smaller than the shear, smaller than the uh, amount to trigger an obligation. So since it's divided already in the dough stage and it's going to be distributed in, in as dough, so then the Chachmas Adam says that the batch is going to be exempt from challah. But in the event, it's the same scenario other than the fact that in this case, the mother, mother-in-law is not going to divide it uh, until after the baking, then then it is going to be obligated in chala. So if it's distributed, if it's divided, right, if, if, if it's going to be divided, uh, uh, sorry, I should say divide, if it's going to be distributed as dough, then it's going to be exempt. If it's going to be distributed as a baked good, as baked bread, then it's going to be obligated in challah. So Chachma Sadam has a very simple way of determining whether there's a mitzvah of challah or not. And that is, is it going to be distributed as dough? If so, then it's exempt. If it's going to be distributed as a baked product after the baking, then it's going to be obligated in challah. Is any yes, of this it, different from what we had before? It seems to be repeating what we had up till now. What am I missing? Hold on. So now, the Minchas Yitzchak says as follows. He has the following Shiloh. A woman goes out and manufactures a batch of dough on Erev Shabbos with the, with the 18 cups of flour. 
because she wants to take in bracha. And what she does is, as the matriarch of the family, so she goes out and distributes it to her children and daughters, her sons and daughters. Because now that her children are married or out of the house, so she's not going to be able to consume over Shabbos um, bread from 18 cups of flour. So is this appropriate or not? Should she be going ahead and... Uh, be uh, reciting the bracha and separating challah's uh, case or, or, or not. Okay, that's the question effectively. Just for time, we'll skip the rest of it. So the Minchas Yitzchak writes, now this would seemingly be the exact case that the Chachma Sadam just, uh, uh, just addressed. And according to Chachma Sadam, we would say that if it's not distributed till after she bakes it, so there's an obligation in challah. That's what the Chachma Sadam would pass in. So here comes along the Minchas Yitzchak, and he says, He says, this question is addressed directly by Chuvas Eres Tzvi, Me'agon Abbasin Kaziglov, don't really know who that is, and he writes over there, and he says, the Minchas Yitzchak says, I'm going to quote it directly from the Sefer, because it's not a Sefer which is easily accessible. But he writes as follows, and we're going to jump around a little bit. But he says, He says, in this matter, where it's going to be baked by one person and then distributed amongst others after baking, I am uncertain. Based on what we petura, that we had from this idea from the Mishnah, that if you go ahead and you make dough, with the intention to divide it as though you are exempt. And the same thing is going to be if you go ahead and distribute it to others, not only if you divide it for yourself, but if you divide it amongst others. But the question is, um, what's going to be the story if you're going to divide the dough into different portions? But you're not going to do the distribution of it. You're going to make 10 chalas, and two you're going to keep for yourself, two to daughter number one, two to daughter number two, two to da- daughter-in-law number one, and two to daughter-in-law number three. So you, you divide it into st- 10 separate loaves as dough. It's going to be baked as such, but you're not going to go ahead and distribute it until after it's baked. Is this considered to be the same thing as dividing it as though and you are exempt? Or is this considered to be a different circumstance where you are going to go ahead and, since you baked it all while it was still in your possession, maybe you should separate chal in that case? Now, again, as we saw, Art, the Chachma Sadam would say, if it's dough, you're, you are exempt. If it's baked, you're going to be obligated. And says the Eretz Tzvi, this is a very common shaila. The balabai is ofe chalos, that a, the, a homeowner, the, the balabasa, she goes out and bakes the dough into bread. And she goes out and distributes it to her sons who live in town, the baked products, or her sons-in-law, who don't live with her. Each one of those individual loaves is not enough to distribute, uh, to, uh, to trigger an obligation of challah. So as we said, she divides it into loaves before baking, and then she bakes it. 
and she doesn't send it to them until after she does the baking. But didn't, didn't we have before that as long as it's similar enough that you don't mind if they touch, then then it's not counted as dividing? I mean... Right, but usually when you give it to other people, we assume that I don't want my dough touching your dough and you don't want your dough touching my dough. But when, when it comes to different people, it's automatically assumed that they're mockbit, that we don't want them to be touching. Why that's so, again, is a different discussion, but that is a baseline um, uh, uh, assumption for this discussion. So he says, um, uh, so now he says, we'll skip, we'll, we skipped all of the proofs, the, the diuk that he makes from the Mishnah, again, for time reasons. He says, the he says, based on my analysis, which would be that if you knew uh, from the beginning that you are planning on distributing this amongst your sons and your sons-in-law or your daughters and your daughters-in-law, and they say a bracha anyways on it, he says, I'm not clear, based on my analysis, what they rely upon where they go ahead and they separate challah and they recite the bracha. And this is something which is done every week. So that means that the time that they made the dough initially, when they mixed the flour and water together, and they kneaded it together, so they were they already knew at that point that they were going to bake it as separate loaves and distribute it amongst their daughters and daughters-in-law. And Granted, it's not actually distributed until after it's baked, but since you knew you knew from the outset that that's what you're planning on doing, this qualifies as aldasachalik with the intention to go ahead and divide. And the Eretz Tzvi maintains that there's no functional difference between dividing it as dough or baking it, uh, baking it as separate loaves with the intention all along to go ahead and distribute it amongst others, the Eretz Tzvi says all of that is the same. The only difference, according to the Eretz Tzvi, would be if you baked it, plan and keeping it all for yourself, and then you decided to distribute it, so then certainly you're obligated in challah. But if you knew from the outset that you were planning on dividing it, he says that's the same thing as having divided it in, and distributed as dough, where that's going to exempt you from the uh, from the obligation of challah. And then he says, he's so emphatic about this, his position. He says, We have to go ahead and we have to let everybody know the halach over here. That in the event that you're left with, after the division, you're left with a batch of dough or you're left with baked goods, which in and of themselves are not enough to trigger an obligation of challah, the most you should do is you should separate challah, but you should not recite the bracha. Because since there's a very strong tzad, a very strong perspective to say that there is no obligation in this case because you planned on dividing it all along, so you should not be saying a bracha under such conditions. So here we have a, a disagreement between the Chachmas Adam and the Eretz Tzvi. What happens when you baked uh, dough with the intention to go ahead and share it and distribute it to others. Are you obligated to separate challah under such conditions or not? The Chachmas Adam says yes. He maintains that since it's not going to be divided and distributed till after baking, so you are fully obligated and you would say the bracha. 
And there at Tzvi says that he's not certain about that. And at the most, he would say, separate challah, but don't run the risk of uh, of saying a bracha levatala, because since you knew from the outset that you were going to uh, distribute it to others, you're going to, uh, right, distribute it to others, so you should not be saying a bracha on that. How does Revel Yashiv Paskin in this case? So one of the cases where, one of the practical uh, um, circumstances where this arises is sometimes a mora, sometimes the teacher will bake challah together with her students because she wants to teach them about, you know, maybe a science experiment about mixing flour and water together, how to make dough and how baking dough ends up being a baked product. And she may want to teach them about the myths of challah along the way. So where Vilyashev writes, So you have a teacher who plans on separating challah together with her students in school. And she's going to send home, each of them is going to take home a roll. So she knows from the outset that she's going to take this large batch of dough. She's going to divide it into separate rolls. She's going to bake them as separate rolls all together. And then she's going to distribute it amongst her 25 students. So the 18 cups of flour are now going to be divided by the uh, the 25 students. The Chosheva Sasaki began. And she thinks she's going to be smart about this. And she says, in order to, because I want to teach the, the, the students about the bracha of separating challah, so we're going to bake it in school. And if we bake all 25 portions in school, in the oven at one time, she thinks that that's going to trigger an obligation to say the bracha, because you've got 18 cups of flour, which were kneaded together and baked together in one oven. So certainly that seemingly has all of the criteria necessary to trigger an obligation to, uh, to say the bracha. And, but she knows from the outset that when she's done baking everything, each student is going to take home one roll, and that one roll doesn't have anywhere near enough flour to trigger an obligation. But she thinks that since it was all kneaded together, and it was all baked together, that she should be reciting the bracha. She should not be saying a bracha in this case because the Eretz Tzvi says that when you know that you're going to divide the baked product from the time that you needed the dough already, you already knew that that was the plan. So this is considered to be almanash shetachalik, on condition to divide, and therefore a bracha is not recited. And in the event that it's going to be divided, she's not even going to bake it in school. They don't have an oven in school. She's going to, it was just a science experiment to go ahead and mix the flour and the water together and see what happens when you knead those two things together, that it ends up being dough. And then she's going to send home each student with the dough, unbaked dough. Then you wouldn't even separate challah altogether. When you bake it and then you send them home, you'll separate challah, but you don't say the bracha. But if you're going to send it home with dough, so then you wouldn't even go ahead and uh, separate the uh, the uh, in the first place, because that was dough which was manufactured with the intention to distribute, and that, according to all opinions, when it's distributed as dough, so you're not say the uh, the bracha. So this is one of the more uh, I would say one of the more complex. Areas of halacha when it comes to uh, the uh, the mitzvah of separating challah when it's considered to be one batch and when it's considered to be multiple batches. But hopefully this will uh, provide a little bit of uh, of clarity in terms of this when you go ahead and in the event that anybody's manufacturing that quantity of dough and then separating it then separating it out. Yeah.
These questions never were a problem for me. In all of my 74 years, I've never lived in a house where anybody baked enough dough at the same time to separate. <laughs> so uh, so one of the places where it comes up, your 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 mother did not bake humantashen for poor? No. My my oh. mother didn't bake. And 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 my my wives my wives both baked, but they didn't make enough to to ever um have a question of separating challah. Never made so, takeoff. What? what was that, Never made teglach. And yeah, it was a big batch of big batch of teglach for the whole family and neighbors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so for some it'll uh, it'll be it'll be no gap. For uh for some not. Rabbi Schaffel, there was a great need for this shear. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, you are a Gibor Shane uh, Kamohu with your ability to uh, to restrain yourself the whole shear for the uh, fifty five minutes or so to hold on to that uh, till uh, till I was finished. I appreciate that very much. I wouldn't be able to restrain myself with such a good uh, such a good pun. Have a great Shabbos. Take care. <laughs> Have a good one, everybody.